let's let's try the whole thing one more time. Let's just let's just do this open a billion times until one of us likes and, it and play it and play it forty five minutes in a row and say, "Hey, you wanted forty five minutes? Here they are." <laughs> welcome to what's your welcome to what's your welcome to it. Welcome to the what's your baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wold, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how you doing? Not too bad, Roland. Not too bad. I'm actually really excited today. We're trying a brand new recording software for the podcast. So as we mentioned at the end of every episode, if you like it, leave us feedback. If you hate it, leave us feedback. We'd love to hear from you um, every time we try and continuously improve our process to make your listening experience that much better. But Roland, today we are addressing something pretty darn cool and something that I've been, I've been waiting a while for us to talk about. And why don't you give us a little introduction for today's episode? Well, you're waiting for a while because it was your idea that we have this show today. So <laughs> it just took a little bit because we had all those interesting guests beforehand. We did. We did. But, it was really exciting. But the topic of today is how to create a business case. And that is something Ooh. like the magic unicorn when your boss comes to you and says, oh, yeah, you got you to gotta have a business case for your idea. And otherwise, nobody will approve any money. So yeah. we're going to talk about what are the components of a business case or when do you need one and, and all those things so that at the end of our conversation, which we try to limit to 45 minutes these times, you're <laughs> strengthened and the, the person of steel when you go back to your boss and say, sure, boss, I got the business case done for my good idea. Absolutely. And I think that, that that's the very first section we're going to jump straight into because I know people are, are eager to figure out how to make change happen at their organization. And particularly a lot of change has costs associated with it. I mean, listen, people are burning hours regardless of human resource costs. And oftentimes change requires something like uh, the purchase of platforms or the engagement engaging of services from an external consultancy or another company who's going to come in and outsource some of what you do. So change is often costly, but we also know change is incredibly valuable. So the business case is going to help us to really prove that out, to make change palatable, and to ultimately help to see and track whether or not change is effective. So that's the very first piece of our puzzle today is we want to talk about why do you even need a business case? And of course, as I've been saying, the first thing is to validate the need for change. Roland, what do you think about that? Oh, that's true. That's true. And and we all know change is scary, as you just said, right? So I think that that's one thing. Obviously, describe what the change is in written form so that people could read it and have their thoughts on it and you iterate on it and, and whatnot. But I also think it's a good way of gaining consensus on those change, mm -hmm. you know, the need for change. And obviously, and we we're going to talk about that a little bit later, how you want to implement that change, you know, because this might be threatening for some stakeholders, right? They might say, Absolutely. oh, I'm going to lose something here and I don't like this. So getting stakeholder buy-in 
is, I think, equally as important as uh, being able to get the consensus with everybody who's going to be affected. Yeah, and th that's part of what we talked about in our change episode. You know, change management does involve some sort of courting of, of stakeholders, but giving them that carrot, the reason why they're going to be changing and why that's valuable to them, that's really important. And a business case helps to try and uh, address that. You're quantifying and qualifying some of the things that are going to come down the line as a result of change. And you're going to give them that, that reason behind it. And that's the third thing is, you know, really what we want to do in the change uh, case and in the business case specifically is to quantify that benefit. So you want to be able to say, here's what you're going to save. Here is how, how it's going to do for you and the organization and for the people, our customers, all those sorts of things you want to quantify. And in, in some cases, qualify the benefits of change give them that that nirvana that they're going to achieve once you've done the change yeah i wouldn't say it like like a nirvana but i'm happy that you mentioned <laughs> that it's also a qualitative component in there because a lot of business cases that i've participated on they all try to boil it down to dollars and cents and i think you cut yourself short but since i looked at our show notes Right, that we're using for these shows. <laughs> I know that we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But That's I think the, the last reason why you want to have a business case is obviously you want to get your executive approval. Somebody yeah. is holding the purse. And uh, as we learned in one of our shorts, you know, you need to show which capabilities you create, which capabilities you change, which capabilities you retire, and mm -hmm. uh, other benefits that you might see out of your proposed initiative and then somebody will decide on it if we're going forward and or not yeah talk about that executive approval and project sponsorship i mean you're tying a change and the cost of change to somebody else's kpis mm -hmm. we, we have an expression around here you know if i can help you get promoted then you're going to buy whatever i'm selling And so this business case needs to help align the change and the cost with the outcomes that are associated with that role and its metrics. Mm -hmm. And of course, that will give you the opportunity for great project sponsorship because people are going to want to buy into something that will help them achieve some of their career goals at the organization they're at. And that's a really big part of making that case for change and making that business case for change. Yeah, but that should be just one side effect. You know, <laughs> you, you should not get into the uh, habit of seeing everything transactionally. Sure. Because sometimes it's okay and it's better if you do it for the good or the greater good, you know, when you do things. I, I believe that very much. The only thing I'll say here is that I've come into a lot of situations, and we'll talk about this a little bit later as like a lesson learned, uh, a lot of situations where we have change cases that are built that are a nice to have case. Mm -hmm. And the greater good is, you know, they, they say that uh, trying to optimize is the death of innovation because all you'll do is try to optimize the thing over and over again until it's gone and you've missed the boat on really making a, 
good change. I, I think that that you know when you're when you're taking about talking about the greater good, you want to make sure that that greater good is imminent, that there is something that is measurable, specific, and that is visible to people, and so that often ties into metrics and KPIs. Mm-hmm. Um, that often is something that somebody's thought about beforehand. You're not just going, "Hey, wouldn't it be nice?" and here's the perfect place we could get to. So yeah, so maybe uh, I I think we address that a little bit in our in our life cycle of change, and I wanted to to, to bridge into that piece of the puzzle. So we'll. And I know you you and I have been talking back and forth about uh, change life cycles. Mm-hmm. And can you describe a little bit to me where you see the business case fitting into that change life cycle, into that whole process? Because I know we talked about before the idea of POCs and POVs, one of our shorts. Where does that business case start to come in? And what are the inputs and outputs you, th- you see in the business case and the different steps? Yeah, I think, um, and, and you will elaborate a little bit more on the details afterwards, but I think it obviously happens at the very, very first start. You know, somebody has an Mm. idea, right? Now, every one of us has ideas all day long, right? They might or might not have the quality that you might need to uh, articulate and achieve those objectives that we just discussed on. You know, Mm -hmm. it might just be a weird idea, but you haven't thought about how do you implement it and all these type of things. So the business case as the very, very first step is basically like the formalization of the idea, and there's a couple of other aspects that come in. But the main idea that we said before is you want to create alignment. Yeah. Right? And alignment with your stakeholders, alignment with the people holding the purse, alignment with the people who are affected of the change. And then based on that, when we think about the change lifecycle, well, the next step would then be to go and to define what the change will be. And that's a mm-hmm. little bit more than to say, oh, yeah, make the world a better place, right? You will need to go and you will need to say, okay, hey, I want to change this. And these are the uh, impact on apps, on organizations, on roles, on processes, and all these things that you and I spoke about when we were defining capabilities mm-hmm. many, many times. But after that, JM, what happens then in that life cycle? Yeah, so so we, we got that alignment, the definition. Then what we're going to talk about in, in you know tie, tying into our business cases is how we're going to do that. So the design of the the processes, the design of the architecture, the design and how it fits into the strategy, um, and how that's going to be implemented. So the the solutions we have decided on to achieve our designs. So mm-hmm. now we have aligned definition, design, and implementation. And then we're going to try and tie that into realized business benefits. So what, what is that all going to, to lie and, and, and lean into? What is this going to give us? And the, re, the realization of that, that's going to come in a lot of different places. You know, we're, we're going to talk about the sources of value, the sources of uh, the, how the business case is calculated. But, you know, once again, talking about the impact of people, the impact of process, the impact of technology, the impact of financial, the impact of risk, the impact of customer, all these sort of realized benefits, we're going to put that into our business case. And so what we should have at the end of that is an understanding of where does it align to the architecture, environment, strategy? What are we defining as our problems we are going to solve? How are we going to solve them conceptually? How are we going to solve them logically? And then how is that solution going to make things better in quantifiable and qualifiable ways. And that will give us, I think we're going to put up a a nice graphic from 
uh, one of our friends in, uh, in, in the show notes that will give you a picture of what we're talking about today. But, you know, let, let's, let's talk about the details and some of these things, because I know that you know, we, we've got a few different aspects we're going to be considering along the way. So what are we going to do to make these things come to life? How do we fill out these boxes? Roland, tell me a little bit about some of those, those, those really important things to remember mm-hmm. when creating that life cycle. So there's, a, there's a, uh, obviously some high-level steps that you go through, right? So the first one is you need to understand what your organization's goals are. And that might yeah. be a challenge in itself because I've seen um, organizations who claimed they had a strategy, but they never put it somehow in writing or in <laughs> architecture diagrams or to people's heads, scorecards. right? That's good enough. It's, yeah, it's in the heads <laughs> of the people. You know, no, it's not good enough, right? Because you obviously want to align everything to it. And, and based on that, when you know where the ship is sailing, well, then you would go and define the objectives. Right. And the objectives, if you break them down, should be smart. So specific, measurable, time-based, and so on, the, the acronym SMART. Mm-hmm. Right? Because at the end of the day, and just let me come back to the realization phase that you mentioned, I've seen just a few projects who actually went there. Most yeah. projects just stopped and say, yay, we, got, we went live, we got our system implemented, now we all go home. Right. Or you have some, yeah. some post go live support phase for a couple of weeks or so. But yeah, I, we, we talked about that in the process mining episode a little bit. Oh, yeah. How the, the, the idea of tracking back business benefit is a really important part. I mean, I feel like that's the first thing to forget is what happens yeah. after we go live. We just sort of drop the pen and go, sounds good. Tests over. No, no, no. This is the start of a new tomorrow. Now we need to live in that tomorrow and figure out how good it actually is because that's the driver for our next level level of iterative process improvement. That is that's true. That's the future state, right? Yeah, that is true. And and then you don't have those. And I think I said that in, in another show. Uh, you don't have objectives like, oh, we need to do so and so many trainings, right? Yeah. That's not important. What's important is can JM in his new role as whatever – do his mm. job better than he did before. So th- that's that's a great point you make there, Roland. And I think that one of the things we'll, t- we'll talk about when we talk about you know what our goals are is also talk about looking at where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know what are we doing right now? Where is that working? Oh, we have an expression. You know, it's like a GPS. It's very hard to let a GPS tell you how to get someplace if you don't have an idea of where you are right now. You need to have that routing from today to tomorrow. And part of the business case, part of the things you're defining as part of your business case is what is it what it's a delta what are we actually going to make with this and how does that change our current situation so you know under you get you got to get those your your goals and outcomes your desires with the organization the alignment to strategy and then a current state analysis um, and that, that's going to give you so first of all go, go into that give you that view of things and also identify where your current state isn't sufficient and and, all, and that's a really important part yes and all the architects on uh, the call right now in our listenership they will say yeah wouldn't it be great if we had everything in a repository that everyone can access <laughs> instead of doing napkins and whiteboards but yeah I'm, you I'm should with you. I'm with you but then the next step in this, uh, obviously, as the, the high level things you're doing is you obviously identify your decision makers and your stakeholders. You know, you know where yeah. you are, you have an idea uh, where you might want to go, but then you have to say, okay, who's affected by this, right? And that might be, like I said before, the purse holder, that might be people whose jobs might be on the line or change, you know, it might be a larger reorganization that you have to talk to unions and your HR folks and whatever might come up, 
right? But mm -hmm. it's important that you have clarity about this and you don't forget those important people. Absolutely. And and to those people and sort of for the organization, what you're going to do is create kind of a, a mantra, a mandate, things you're going to say that are all around what you're doing. So that these are these are the, the, the declarations of values. Here's the thing we're going to create. Here's the thing we're going to retire. Here's the thing we're going to change. Here is the specific value that we're going to create as a result of this project. And so you're going through and creating this set of, uh, of values that you're going to be passing over to the rest of the organization or the rest of the stakeholders you've identified to say, like, these are the specific values that we look to achieve with this initiative. I think there's two things. One is what you described is obviously uh, the, the actual transformation, right? Oh, we're going to do these and those changes. But I yeah. think when you talk about values, it's more things like, Oh, we're reducing the data consumption by X. Oh, we mm. speed up our governance process by Y, you know, mm -hmm. or we increase our delivery rate by X percent, right? So I think those are the value statements that you need mm -hmm. to have because those are stakeholder specific. You know, when you talk to your CFO, uh, he might be a good person or she might be a good person and, and think about, oh, why should we do all those green, sustainable things? But at the end of the day, their job is to uh, count dollars and cents, right? So you need yes. to talk to them in their language, which means, oh, we're going to have those savings or we're going to make more money by doing this. Why, yeah. if you're talking to your quality management person, well, then he might not think about dollars and cents. He might think about, okay, what's the efficiency of my process? Do I have fewer errors in producing our widgets and so on and so forth? So articulate your values and align them to the stakeholders so that you speak their language because otherwise... And, and also align them to the strategies, right? Oh, yeah. Because, because one of the things you're going to see in a lot, a lot of organizations will put these lofty strategies out there and they aren't quantified at all, really. Well, a lot of them aren't. Most of them are just like, we want to become a more customer-centric bank. We want mm -hmm. to become, uh, you know, we want to become the number one producer in the world of this particular thing. We have a lot of these like high-level strategic statements. If you can align the value of a change to a strategic statement. Let's say, for instance, we're going to bring in a platform to do customer journey mapping. Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to be perfect, perfectly aligned. So we're, we're going to be able to say the value statement is we're going to have a tighter alignment between our customer's experience and our process design. That's perfectly fit into a strategic statement that mm -hmm. you can now latch onto. An executive is going to love that. Well, he loves it even more when you say, hey, these are the changes that I do. This is the value that I create from. And by the way, this is how we measure it, right? Mm. So that you have literally, like I said, smart objectives, that you have something you can say, okay, we're going to sell more of this by X percent, or we're going to reduce the time by Y percent, or whatever measurable thing you have, because you might have a good idea about the value statement. If you cannot measure it, and people don't agree on your way of measuring it, it's not worth anything. So, you know, as you're creating a business case, you're going to say, here's how we're going to see those benefits that we're trying to track. Mm 
And here is where we're going to measure. Here's what we're going to look for. Here's what you can expect. And here's how we're going to present it to you. So we're going to demonstrate that value in these specific ways. And what, what are the processes? What are the architecture? What are the, what are the people we're going to touch on um, that, that we're going to be able to see that reflected back on us? And if you can put all those things into place, what you've got is a, is a really convincing start to your business case. You know what your goals are. You know what you have today. You understand who you're appealing to. You understand what, what value statements you're going to be declaring as things are going to do. And you're, and you're going to be outlining how you're going to measure it along the way. That's a really powerful combination. And that's going to get you started with the very first of your, your value process, your business case development process. Absolutely. And, and maybe to close out this segment, uh, we obviously have a little break. But during yeah. that break, I'm asking you to think about what do you want to do in your organization and how have you tried to get people to act on this? What tools have you used in the past and where have you struggled to see actions? So we leave you alone for a few seconds and when we come back, we're going to talk about the how. How do we create this thing? Right, folks. Uh, I, I'm really glad we got these little musical interludes. I think it gives our brains a break between trying to make all these things happen, and particularly around building business cases. I, I'm I'm really excited to be talking about this today because. A lot of people I know and love very dearly have really excellent ideas, but they get left on the shelf because they can't prove how excellent their idea is. And that's that's the biggest shame of all, knowing that you've got the right idea, but feeling crazy because no one else believes you. Yeah, JM, that's true. Uh, but obviously, that's the ultimate question. What information do you need to create a business case? So how do I get started with putting ink to paper? Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, Roland. So I, I'm going to go into these as like sort of three categories that we're going to talk about as part of the business case that are it's information you can kind of gather along the way that you'll want to take a look at. Um, we're going to talk about quantified benefits, some examples of quantified benefits you can get, some examples of unquantified benefits, and some examples of costs. Because remember, the business case is always going to be offset by the cost of achieving some of the goals you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. So let's first talk about quantified benefits. And that's, you know, th these are usually things like risk adjusted present values. You usually have time periods that over which you're going to be measuring this like a three year, five year analysis um, that, that's going to go into making this business case really stick in a specific time box. Um, so here are some examples of things that you might find for quantifiable benefits. Um, so the first thing is talking about people. Um, so one of the one of the real quantified benefits, quantifiable benefits, is a reduced uh, time spent on 
certain tasks. A perfect example, and often we talk about architecture and, and process tools, you might think about a reduced time spent on business process analysis. And then to quantify that, you simply multiply the cost of your human resources by that time differential that you're you're predicting as a result of bringing this in. So you're trying to predict what that change will be in your overall spend on people. And that's something that you can usually do. Um, and as a perfect example is you can do things like test out the amount of time required by doing a POC or a POV um, to see how long does it take to do things like create an architecture diagram? How long does it do to take to do things like create a business process model? And in case that that's something that you do all the time, you can get a rough sense of how often that has to happen, the velocity as a result, multiple by that, you create the time. As a result, multiply the cost. You create the overall value of a reduction in time. Yeah. And the second thing is, is when we talk about um, transformations, I mean, one of the things that organizations are going through a lot is they're trying to evolve. This is part of what your, what your business case might address, and particularly in architecture and business process. We see a lot of people trying to introduce new processes to transform the business. And that can take quite a long time. Those those projects have a very heavy burn in terms of dollars. Um, once again, it's a lot of human resources. Projects often have things like service resources that are required. So if you've got an SI who's supporting you, that might be a, a, an external cost you can factor into that. If you have systems that are supporting you, you might be re, you know reducing um, or eliminating certain systems. The transformation process is very expensive. And, it's and if you can reduce the time to transform by introducing a platform or introducing a practice, those sorts of things can really add up in terms of actual dollars saved um, throughout the process. Yeah, and maybe the other thing that you might want to think about is, is obviously when it comes to the uh, execution of your implementations. You know, you want to have uh, better speed and, and quality of your implementations. So think about yeah. having clarity with having a good blueprint that ideally synchronizes with your implementation tool, you know, so you're not only faster in designing so your solution, but when it comes to scope change or open mm -hmm. questions that come up during the implementation where you have something to look at and it synchronizes back to your architecture tool or to your implementation tool, which basically... Yeah increases the quality of your implementation. There's no loose ends at the end of the day. And you still have articulated where should the journey go and how do those changes align to it? Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like we're talking a lot about business cases in, in the context of architecture and, and, and process tools. That's kind of where we come from. Um, and I think that that's a, it's a really good sort of proving point for how you create a business case. And that particularly ties to the fourth idea, which is all about, um, the effect of your implementations, um, and the business case for that implementation on the end uh, the end users. Um, and that's going to be talking about, you know, whether or not those people who are doing their jobs after an implementation and, and building a business case for a change in an implementation, whether or not those people at the end of line can do their jobs faster, mm -hmm. um, whether they have productivity improvements you're looking to do. So for example, as we, we talk as a, like an, uh, a bridge into RPA. RPA business cases are all about, you know, giving end users productivity improvements. And you can see a huge amount in, in you know, both directly realized benefits in terms of you need fewer people to do the same jobs um, or 
opportunities as in you can do more with the people you already have and so you can use those people to to be able to have more innovation to handle more cases to be able to pivot the business lots of things so you've got optimization of processes and execution at the sort of end of line you can you those are quantifiable benefits that you can uh, at least you can you can predict and then you can track back or to talk in architecture speak right you're you're improving your capability but when you think about uh, your business case that also could mean that you take a capability and you outsource it or you buy another company that provides that capability for you so mm-hmm. like you said business cases are not only for architecture and and process scenarios business cases should be actually used for all of those decisions that you want which brings me and now i'm contradicting myself a little bit <laughs> to it which obviously has another benefit that you should Keep in mind, right? Because what you're doing is you're not only defining what the new world should be, you should also do some rationalization and some strategic alignment with your as-is, what you have. And when you talk to IT departments, uh, it's not uncommon to hear that they say, oh, we're going to spend 80% of our budgets just to keep our lights on, right? So if you can reduce legacy infrastructure, right? If you can reduce the amount of apps that you have, you reduce cost. Right. And that cost savings then can go into innovation. Absolutely. And hopefully uh, the CFO will not take away those savings from you, you know, (laughs) so that you just have a smaller budget, but you actually can can use it for something that brings the company forward. Oh, yeah. And and I know a lot of organizations that actually have like rationalization targets. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they really struggle to meet meet those targets. If your business case involves helping them to achieve their targets, you're once again, we talked about earlier, that strategic alignment. Now it's perfect because now you've you've hooked into something that people have already committed that they want to do. You're putting into your business case how you're going to help them achieve their goals. Agreed. But JM, this is just one aspect of of Mm -hmm. things that you want to look at when you create your business case. And unfortunately, I've been in too many situations where the <laughs> business case uh, development ended now, you know, oh, how many transactions do I save? How many, whatever, you know, so you're starting to bean count. I think exactly. there's, there's an additional set of benefits, JM, that are not yeah. quantifiable. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> this is something that we struggle with all the time. And, the very first one is the the business benefit that's really hard to track of not being fined. Oh, that's I think a that's a really easy. difficult one. Well, here's a question. <laughs> How big is the fine? How likely was it that we were going to get fined? You know, there's a lot of regulatory compliance. There's a lot of risk management. Like there's there's a lot that goes into you know, the cost of business for a company. Mm-hmm. And you, if, you know, there, we've seen so many companies in the news who are also, you know, because they didn't do a change, they got hacked or they had significant, you know, negative public exposures that, that reduced their business reputation. Like there's so many costs that could come up as a result of the failure of process and architecture and practices yeah. and people and the transformations in the, the you know, business case you're trying to build might 
remove or reduce a lot of those risks and governance needs. And maybe you're not going to lose your certification in ISO. Maybe you're not going to fall out of SOX compliance. Like these are all things that unfortunately it's really hard to quantify, but we know, and like all the architects on the line are going, of course we know, we know that this matters. And it's important to include those unquantifiable benefits because really it truly is not quantifiable. You don't know what like like FCC, what levy is a fine against you. You're just trying to say, as part of the reason for this project moving forward, the case for this project, I'm going to outline things you don't want to happen that we think we will prevent from happening. Mm. And, and I don't want to burst your bubble, but I'm pretty sure that there are people in banks who do that calculation like, <laughs> oh, in the past we got fined that, that dollar amount on this. Well, the probability that we can find the same amount is very high. Well, what's sure. the project cost? So, but yeah, but I'm, I'm with you. There's also, and I think it's, it's risk management is the topic uh, that we're talking about. Things like you said, like reputation. You know, yeah. do I want to buy from this shady company, right? For example, if you're a bank that cannot handle money well. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No. Mm-hmm. And the other thing we want to remember is that we're in the time, I think that it depends on what you want to call it, the great resignation, the great shuffle, the nothing, nothing's wrong at all, as some people would put it. <laughs> but uh, an employee experience is incredibly valuable right now, a positive employee experience. And particularly when we look at, you know, very poor tools, platforms people are using, like, you know, everyone hates their expense reporting tool or everyone hates to submit, you know, deals to their, their, the, the deal approval system. Or everyone hates their pricing tools. Or everyone hates, you know, th- these are people who are complaining about the tools they use in their daily lives and, that can lead to really poor employee experience, bad processes, you know, constant workarounds and negotiations. And it's really hard to quantify that. But I did a, a study uh, earlier where we did a rough back of the napkin cost of uh, employee attrition. And we were, we were working with, with somebody. We, we came up with the estimate that this company was burning about $10 million a year in just this one department, this one uh, business unit, mm-hmm. $10 million a year in unnecessary training and employee uh, uh, onboarding. Wow. Because quite of, a bit. yeah, a lot, a lot of people were leaving and all the exit interviews were citing the same problems over and over again. Had they solved those problems, we estimate they could have saved $10 million a year in the HR and onboarding costs of new employees. It's unbelievable. And you can do that by making better processes, better technology come to life. That can be part of your business case. We're going to make it easier to work here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But I I guess a big factor was also people. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Oh, isn't it always? On on the other side, uh, after you had that inward looking perspective, there's obviously the the outward looking perspective there. You know, what is the customer experience? And I think that that we as consumers, we as customers are now a little bit spoiled. You know, we expect instant delivery by uh, our favorite online shop. We expect our meals being brought to our front door. You know, all those wonderful things that, Unfortunately, thanks to the pandemic, became more than normal, right? Um, but I think it's very important to go and say, okay, what is the impact on the customer experience? How do we improve our processes and how do we improve that customer journey so that we're quote unquote, more sticky or more attractive to our customers compared to our competition. And you might complain that customer expectations are too high, 
but that really doesn't matter because that's the expectation. Yeah, get over and it. And if you don't meet it, it doesn't <laughs> matter how how hard it was. There's a plaque over my, my mother's desk that says, don't tell me how rocky the seas are, just bring the ship in. Yeah. If you can't satisfy your customer, it doesn't matter that their expectations were too high. You weren't good enough. Agreed, agreed. And it's that always change, you know? It's unfortunately those situations where we are, where you don't go to work for 40 years and do the same thing over and over again. There's always something new. And at the end of the day, don't blame the customer, right? They pay your bills. <laughs> Speaking of which. Oh, I, I love that. Bills will be paid in money, JM. So one of the big aspects that we have in a business case development is obviously cost. Yeah. We were speaking all about the benefits and how much money we save or how much money we make or how mm -hmm. happy our customers are. But obviously, somebody has to pick up the bill, right? It's true. So what, what would be the cost factors that are part of your business case? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> you have to account for all the things because you want to make sure that you're comprehensive. There are no holes in your business case. That's a really important sort of lesson learned. If people can poke holes in the business case, it doesn't matter how accurate everything else is. You've lost the credibility. And one of the big things is cost. And the first cost you can pretty easily put out there is an internal resource costs. So obviously, you're going to have to have the cost of salary of all the people who are going to be working on bringing this project to life. And so that salary costs that remember, that's also kind of the hidden cost of the opportunity cost of not doing other things. So if they're doing your project, they're not doing this other project. And so you have to fight to make sure that the, that your your costs are appropriate and the, the value is above what they would be doing if they could do something else. And so remember those those costs on internal resources are important. As I know, there are also both internal and external. So human resources are a big part of things. Sometimes you'll have contractors who you have to call in, and those are actually pretty easy costs to calculate because you have quotes or existing service agreements with, with contractors. So essentially, whatever your team is going to cost, you will know that. And if you have a, a project timeline, then you'll have an understanding of how how much you have to engage that person. You sometimes also have like FTE calculations, like how many FTE equivalents am I going to need for how long? And mm -hmm. that will give you an overall human resource cost, both both internal and external if you've got contractors. Yeah, and I think the second big bucket in, in this uh, chapter of your business case is also technology costs. You know, because yeah. everybody says, oh, yeah, I want to build this new thing, you know, and you're talking about licensees and hosting and and all those other things. Um, but what they typically forget is there's obviously migration costs, right? Yeah. Your data migration or there might be penalties that you mm. have to, to pay because you break your contract with your legacy vendor, right? And they say, oh, that's great, but pay me for the rest of my of my period that I that I'm in under contract with you, you know those things. So it's it's not only just the boxes and cables and whatever the hardware and other things that you have, but it's also those hidden costs that you have. You know, maybe you had that wonderful idea of oh we can reduce those applications, you know, and then we can take it out and then we get rid of that data center and blah. Mm -hmm. But you forgot because you didn't do your homework correctly that there's this old, old legacy system that somebody in that farthest corner of your organization is still using. And that means you need to keep your data center and all those wonderful things in place. And your business case just crumbles, right? Because yeah. you don't have the savings that you would have expected. 
Exactly. That, that, that's true. And remember that when you're talking about, um, you know, migration, that leads me to the, the other cost. You know, this is a, an external cost, but there are lots of services that end up getting engaged in these sorts of projects. I mean, I, I came from working for a management consulting company. So it wasn't just a contractor that I could call up and I know his hourly or her hourly. Unfortunately, it's a whole organization. I might have to go through an RFX process. I might have to select a vendor of choice, like a, a, an implementation partner, an SI, mm-hmm. to go do this for me. And there's costs to running that process. Then there are the external service costs that they will have during the execution of the project. So it's not just a human resource cost. It's actually a service cost you're paying. And then, remember – after go live, remember we talked about you forget that mm-hmm. there could be a new ongoing maintenance cost of tools. A lot of technology vendors will stick you with a huge yearly bill, not just for license costs, but for the services required to operate that new platform. And so yeah. you could have an ongoing, you know, service support center costs of millions a year that you have to account in your business case if you're doing a, a value because that's going to be something you're going to have to absorb as a result of this project. Yeah, and and as we've spoken multiple times and we definitely should have an episode about this, the other way could be that the knowledge walks out of the door. You know, you have yeah, projects, exactly. the team will be disbanded, people go their merry ways and and you lose that knowledge. Um, so in summary, right, your information that you need is not only the phases that we had in the change life cycle, right, your designs and all these things, but obviously it's your quantified benefits, your unquantified benefits, and the cost. But now, JM, we have all that stuff assembled. Um, who do you need to involve to make your business case. You know, you've, you've put ink on your paper. It looks all good. People might have vetted it. You know, your, your significant other looked through it and said, <laughs> Jam, good job, you know. But uh, who would you involve in making this business case and producing it and then obviously getting it approved? Yeah, so, so what you want to have is the weight of authenticity, Mm-hmm. And the weight of authenticity comes from bringing the right people to the table to contribute to this whole exercise. And that starts with subject matter experts. It really does. You need to have your numbers validated by the people who know how much things cost. And you need to have their names on the page to say, here is where I got my numbers from. Here is who contributed to those. So first, involve those subject matter experts early on. Know what your architects or your enterprise architecture team or your IT service team is got in terms of their, their architecture, how much they're paying in license fees, what their, for their external service costs are, have that all very clearly laid out and involve them to say, listen, I'm, I'm making a business case. Can you give me these numbers? Um, and that's, that's not, not just your subject matter experts, uh, in spaces, also in, in human resources. You can get rough numbers from them, but also your architects to say, what is my architectural impact of this case? What is it going to touch on? So can you pull up your application library? Can you pull up all of the interfaces that you've built and you, what you're, what are you, what am I going to do if I do this project? How am I going to change things? What is this going to impact? And that's going to add a lot of, you know, more detail to your as is and to be landscape, which we're going to talk about in a couple of seconds, um, so that you have a full picture of what you're going to talk to. Um, the third thing, of course, is you want to start talking, if, if possible, involving as you're making this business case to people who own strategy, who own the parts of the strategy 
And oftentimes you'll find these people, strategy owners in specialist teams or, you know, these business units that are focused on delivering a specific capability. They'll have a strategy ownership role. And if you're going to touch on that capability, if you're going to help improve it, you need to have their both their buy-in. So maybe you present them a partially created case and also their insight to say, hey, listen, here is where this capability actually is struggling. Mm -hmm. And so they put their name on the page. So when you end up presenting it, the, the sort of the fourth level of a business case is presenting it up to your key stakeholders in management, people who hold the purse strings. So you should involve them. And remember, when you present your business case, you're not presenting it once ever. That would be crazy. This is intended to be iterative. So the first time you present it, maybe it gets sent back. It says, listen, there isn't enough here or we need more details on this. So involve your management collaboratively. <laughs> okay, folks, maybe this wasn't working for you. Where am I struggling? How should I improve? What would you need to see to make this business case compelling? Great. If you can get some feedback, usually it's in the form of something like a written feedback, or maybe you have a, se a session with them where you're standing up in the front of the room and presenting, and they give you questions, and they, and they sort of test and improve your business case. Great. Take that feedback. Develop using it, because now you've got all you need. They just told you what they wanted. Yeah. So you use them. Yeah. And that's how you make the best and most watertight business case. Yeah. And just to, to have it said, when we're talking about management, we're not talking about your uh, IT department, you know, that needs to approve the acquisition of boxes and cables. <laughs> no, no, we're no, no, actually no. talking about the business units, the people who should get the benefits of what you're doing here. But, JM, we're at the end of our second segment. So mm -hmm. um, what I would love to do for our listeners now is to send you in the second break of our little show here. And I would love to have you think about how did you create business cases in the past? Did you create business cases in the past? Or was it a napkin that your best buddy has signed up on, upon? Uh, what was included <laughs> in those business cases? And how did they get approved or died on the wine? We'll leave you alone for a couple of seconds and we'll come back with the third segment of our show. to think about your successes and struggles in the past with creating business cases. But now we've come to our third section. We usually call it the meaning, the value, the example. And in this one, we're going to sort of go into the practicality and walk through. And I think we're going to have another graphic as an example of how to build a business case, particularly in the, in the uh, context of a value proposition. So Roland, let's start over here with the process of creating a business case. Mm -hmm. Walk me through how you, how you do it as an example. Well, first of all, creating a business case is not a, in most cases, a one man show or one woman show, right? <laughs> it involves a team, oh, no. which yeah. first and foremost means it's a coordination effort. Mm -hmm. We spoke about which people should be involved in the previous segment, which is great, right? But then you're looking at things like a timeline. You know, is mm. that person available or do I need to go to the other person and ask them? Right. Uh, I also need to think about, okay, 
and obviously this episode helps you tremendously in this, what are the components of my business case? You know, what do I actually have to create? And then you assign obviously those people that you just identified to those uh, components. This might lead into the situation that somebody, but let's say we're talking about the qualitative measures and you're talking about, uh, say an example, what is the qualitative outcome of using a certain tool in the context of an SAP implementation, right? You might need some extra expertise to get that being described. So, which means you have more time to plan for it. And then the last part of that process is obviously you need to make sure that uh, these components are connected correctly. And that means on the one hand side, from the story perspective, you know, does it flow? But it also means from an editorial perspective, right? Do we write with the same language? And my recommendation for that is have your individual contributors contribute their parts um, if you're the project manager for that business case, obviously read through it while it will be created. But at some point in time, when the individuals have given their input, take it away and have one, maximum two people do the final edits. Because what you want is you want to have a single voice that talks and describes the business case to the audience. One of the important things to think about is the business case in the context of the value proposition. I know that we talked about the business case is really that, that, you know, numerical or unquantifiable, I suppose, um, value statement that you're going to put in there, but it does fit into the life cycle of a value proposition. That's something you will create overall to make that case and can and also bring all that context into the business case as you present it up. So this is going to fit into it. And there are really six components to a value proposition that I see. And we're going to talk about them in a moment in detail each one, but laying them out, it's to catch your business initiatives, your as-is landscape, the obstacles, your to-be landscape, the enablers, and the business case itself that emerges from those five. So let's walk through them one at a time. We've talked about these a little bit, but you know, if you take this as a, as a guide for you as you're thinking about the information you might need to capture should you want to make a change. Um, let's talk about it first and foremost. So business initiatives is going to be talking about kind of at that strategy level we, we spoke about before. What am I doing today in this organization to change for the better? What are the initiatives? What are my goals? What are my strategic statements and mandates? And what, what am I? Tr so essentially, what, what is the business attempting to do to achieve its ideal state? Or a better state. That is one part of it. But it's also, what do you have currently going on? Yes. Because, JM, you might have the greatest idea of the world, but that is the complete opposite of what you're currently implementing. Exactly. So the, the logical sense, if you are able to convince everybody that your idea is the better one, would be to stop the running project, right? Which, <laughs> which then yeah. I'm pretty sure you won't nah. make so many friends. Well, that's when you have a lot more costs tossed in your business case because you're going to have to kill a running project that's already just going to be a sunk cost. Yeah, but if you're doing the wrong thing, if you don't do the wrong thing, it might be worth 
sinking that money in. Yeah, one of the one of the quantifiable benefits of a really good architecture and um, uh, IT pro- IT program portfolio management tool is to avoid the cost of doing bad projects. But mm-hmm. that's a, a separate conversation. Um, so the next thing you're going to do is capture your as is landscape. So what technologies, what processes, what people do you have in place today that you are attempting to use to achieve your business initiatives. And when I say attempting to use, of course, that that belies the fact that I'm going to say the next word, which is obstacles, because in some way, the way you do things right now, what you have right now needs to not properly satisfy your business initiatives. That's going to go into one of the tips we have later. But if things are working well, you shouldn't try and focus your efforts of improvement on those things that are working well because they'll be a lot harder to justify because your as-is landscape is achieving your business initiatives. Find out where you have obstacles to a, to your success. And, and don't forget that landscape does not necessarily mean just people, process, and technology, right? The example yeah. that we had before, um, the topic of risk management intangible things comes in here as well. So don't forget, for Mm -hmm. example, you risk people. Have a look as you should, and I'm pretty sure the majority of our listeners has that, uh, have a look at your architecture. How is it structured? Which views do you have? And then when you create the business case, go through each view and say, is that relevant for my business case? Yes, no, and maybe it isn't, right? So you don't take it, but do that sanity check and say, oh, yeah, there's, there's that one thing like, mm, of course, risks, you know, or projects. I need to, to take that into consideration. Yeah. And that leads me to this idea of the 2B landscape, right? So what you're going to say is uh, today we're doing something. It, it does not allow us to achieve our business initiatives. Tomorrow, here is what it would look like to allow us to achieve our business initiatives. And that 2B landscape, once again, as Roland said, it's, you know, it's, it's views, it's contents, it's people process technology, but it's also just a lot of other components that, that go into what the 2B is. And don't forget to be, I'm not a big fan of that term. I love to use the half, <laughs> the term transition states. Because there's so many dependencies to stick with the example of the running projects. Maybe you Mm -hmm. have to wait for a result of a running project before you can go into another phase. So does that mean, does that mean you don't start your project until they're done? Waterfallish? Or does that mean you, you have different transition states? So you do a little improvement in your first phase. And then when the other project is done, then you go into the next phase and, and reap the full benefit. So transition states is also obviously a key factor in your to be thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're looking at those transition states, let's call them that, let's talk about what they specifically enable. Mm-hmm. So what does this change? Because remember, we, you know, we talked about the obstacles. So we really should be pairing the obstacles we see with some of the enablers that we're making with this 2B state or the transition state. Uh, don't try and solve everything, though. That's another another tip, trick, and best practice. Don't try and solve everything all at once. Those big bang approaches tend to fall very flat. But your enablers should cross some of those things off your hit list from the obstacles. Mm-hmm. And and most importantly, when you combine it with the transition states, right, you need to be, and we'll talk about that in the next component, the business case itself, you need to be uh, able to articulate what is the value that you create by putting those enablers in place by mm-hmm. transition state, because that might have a big impact on your plan 
if the purse holder says, well, I should pay you X for that infrastructure, whatever that is. <laughs> and um, he says, but I don't get anything from it, right? So you would might you might shift your approach um, in a way that you create the value that this person wants to see earlier, right? And yeah, obviously, absolutely. since resources are limited, other things go into the into the back of the, the list. But that is also very important. Not just take it as a flat list, but also have some prioritization, have some time aspect on those things because that allows you to articulate the value. Absolutely. And so then what we're doing is we're taking that enabler, crossing off the list of our obstacles, tying it to the business initiatives, taking all the costs associated with this, and we are assembling all of that into the business case that we will be presenting. What is the financial impact of change? What are the unquantifiable benefits of change and listing those and the costs of change, listing all those out in that business case and presenting it back to the people who control the business initiatives. And that's the cycle over and over and over again. And once again, it can be iterative. You know, we've seen Roland, I'm sure the same as, as I, many mm -hmm. times where we, we present the business case back to the business initiative owners and they say, your obstacles, you know, to make that example, your obstacles are incomplete or incorrect, or we have a different mm -hmm. view of things. And maybe your enablers that are hitting those obstacles, well, maybe they're not crossing things off our list. They're crossing things off your list. And our list is the one that has the money. So maybe you should come back. In. Or your stakeholders smell blood, you know, and, and I had that yeah. in one project where we were developing not only a new system, but also a redefinition of a business of a business scenario and, and product offering that we wanted to go to market with. And we said, okay, we're going to deliver it in these transition states. And we were happily working on, and it was uh, 11 countries in that organization that we're working for. And we said, okay, mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do. And then our sponsor completely out of the, the blue came while we're still, we're in transition state one, uh, came back and said, when can I roll this out to the other countries? Right? And we said, no, we're going to do that for the first three because those are the most important and then the most mature and, and whatnot, you know, and the others have to wait. And he was not happy with that. Right? Yep. So that was obviously a fail in communication, a fail in expectation management. Yeah. And I think that's one of the tips and tricks we can take forward, Roland, is that you know, never forget that you are presenting business cases to human beings mm -hmm. and humans are flawed and humans have bias and humans are selfish at times. Humans have the desire for recognition and acknowledgement and glory. And sometimes the business case you're presenting needs to have a human aspect to it understand what this person wants so that maybe they don't want an optimized company what they want is them to look like they're making good changes maybe okay yeah. and and some, so let's 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 bend it to them yeah and maybe some people have some issues in reading project plans but that's a different story <laughs> uh, i think and that, that's, that's a tips and tricks section right so now yeah. we're talking about like some some things and i think that one of the things we we, we talked about earlier that i want to hit on very hard is the unquantifiable benefits mm -hmm. i can't i can't stress more i can't re re reinforce this to you enough friends the unquantifiable benefits of change well they might be harder to justify Never forget that they're so important. And particularly when we talked about earlier about employee engagement, you know, if you have bad processes and bad technology, people are going to find companies to work at that have better technology and better processes. And 
I, I've had friends and colleagues I've worked with and people and companies that I've worked with who have said to me, listen, I don't know where I'm going next, but I can't stay here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's crazy. They're like, well, you know, I went, one of my clients, I was talking to somebody that, that was leaving the job. I said, listen, you've been pretty successful. And he said, well, yeah, but I hate it. I hate what I'm doing right now. Not just the job. I hate the fact that our, that the company that I'm working at is still using technology from 10 years ago and the processes are so outdated and I have to do all these workarounds and I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that kind of hopelessness is letting people walk out the door. And you think about the great resignation, it really is. A lot of people aren't going to come back. And so if you can make your organization work better, that's a massive unquantifiable, but very real benefits to what you can do. Yeah. And speaking of, and and that's the next tip, speaking of the unquantifiable, right? Uh, When you uh, come up with your objectives and, and what you put in your business plan, um, avoid the nice to have. You yeah. Know? Um, focus on what's really important or in architecture speak, you know, look at the capabilities that you want to build up. Is the thing that you propose to do, is that really needed for it? Or is it a nice to have, right? So have yeah. a clear perspective, line of sight to the objectives that you've laid out in the beginning that you might have been dictated by your organization. You know, you need to do this Mm -hmm. and this and this, or you need to accomplish this and this and this. And uh, focus first and foremost on these things, right? Try to avoid the nice to have, you know, oh, my office needs to be painted and and whatnot, which is nice to have, (laughs) but that might not be mission critical, right? But rather than take the money that you save by not having the nice to haves and invest it into the next initiative that you have. And that's actually kind of a, a touch point for this whole process, because I think that, that this brings it around really nicely to a conclusion. Business, business is really important to recognize what's valuable in change. Business needs to recognize that, that value. Um, in, and to do that, there needs to be a value to that thing to the business. And it mm-hmm. feels weird to say that, but the truth is that uh, if you can't justify your change with an effective business case, then you really shouldn't be making that change, even if you really want it. Yeah. And and to stick with the example that I just mentioned, that large project that I worked on, there were people within our own IT organization, they articulated where we have that hidden agenda. You know, we want to migrate every project, every organization or org unit in our firm. We want to migrate them to a certain stack in technology. Right. That was mm-hmm. completely not part of the business case that we had. Right. And that was a nice to have. Right. Of course, yeah. it would be nice to have for them if everything is, is standardized and whatnot. But they never thought about, is that what the business folks wanted? Right. And in exactly. the end, it was more a, uh, a stumbling block that we had because we had to overcome this. Then it was a help. Roland, I think that's an excellent cap off to the episode. And back to you, friends. I want you to take a couple of moments as we leave you with one more music break to think about an idea you have for process architecture or structure or whatever in your organization. How does that align with the example we brought up of a value proposition and a business case? What business initiatives does this fit into? How does it change things for the better in the organization? How do you do it today? How will you make it better? And what value will that change specifically give the business? 
We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our final thoughts, conclusions, and the end of the episode. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed Jeremy's wonderful music and uh, we're coming to the end of the show. So just to do a little summary of what we spoke about. So we, in our first segment, spoke about, okay, what's the need for a business case? Why should you have it? And we put it into the circle of change, the life cycle of change. And also spoke about the high level things you're doing. And then we moved on to actually what is in your business case, right? Which information do you need? How do you articulate quantified benefits, unquantified benefits, costs, and, and who should you involve in it? And then we closed out, obviously, uh, the show with a process. And like JM said, I will put graphics into the show notes with a process, how to create the business case, the six pillars of the value proposition. Wow, that's a good summary, Roland, and thank you so much. And, you know, I had a lot of fun chatting with you today. And you know what I'd have even more fun with? Chatting with our wonderful audience. And thank you to everyone here for listening and loving and sharing What's Your Baseline with everyone else. Please continue to like, subscribe, share um, all, the, all the good things on all of your podcatchers and, and things like that. And you know you can find tons more information at whatsyourbaseline.com or for this episode specifically at whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 23. Well, for now, I've been J.M. Erlinson. And I'm Roland Volt. And we'll see you in the next one.